Good to be back with you. We, of course, last week, our family, COVID, came to visit. And we rejoice and give thanks uh, to you for your prayers and to our God for answering prayers because uh, the strain that we had was apparently a very mild strain. Thank God for variants, right? And so uh, we're back uh, here this morning. Uh, the oldest, uh, unfortunately, he still has uh, just a very thin line on the positive line for one of those tests. And so, uh, although uh, he has uh, no more symptoms, uh, we thought it wise that he uh, stay home. So, hi, Zeke. All right, so <laughs> he's watching right now. Well, turn your Bibles to... Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter one. We want to read verses sixteen through twenty one this morning. Hear now the word of the true and living God. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing first of all, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord God, as we consider your word, looking into your word to think about your word, we pray that you would give us clear eyes, clear vision, to see the nature and origin of your word and how it might be of profit to us. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Bible claims to be the breathed-out Word of God. Over 3,500 times, 3,500 times, the Old Testament uses such synonymous expressions as, the Lord says, thus says the Lord, the Word of the Lord came, saying. And both the psalmist and Jesus called the law the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 9, Matthew chapter 15, verse 6. David said, The Spirit of Yahweh spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. 2 Samuel 23, and verse 2. The Lord told both Isaiah and Jeremiah, I have put my words in your mouth. Isaiah 51, verse 16. Jeremiah 1, verses 7 and 9. God gave His Spirit to the prophets to instruct them, that is to teach them. Nehemiah 9 verse 20 tells us. And so the clear testimony of the prophets themselves is that the teaching that we find in the Old Testament is 
from God. When we come to the New Testament, it also claims to be given by God. Jesus claimed that His words were not His own, but came from His Father. John 7, verses 16 through 17. He goes on in John 12, verses 49 and 50 to say, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father Himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that His commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. This morning, I want us to look at two texts which affirm that God has given us His Word. That what we have contained in Scripture, the sacred writings, is nothing less than the God-given Word. The first text is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. The second text will be 2 Peter 1, so if you were there already, keep your finger there because we're going to come back to it. But first, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the phrase that we want to focus our attention on briefly this morning begins verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The word there for breathed out, theopneustos, or theonoustos, depending on how you pronounce, it denotes, again, that God, He gave, He breathed it out. And the illustration I use is, is if you put your hand in front of your mouth while you talk and you feel the breath as it leaves your lips, that's the idea of all Scripture. And this is vital because how you view Scripture will determine the rest of your beliefs. If you believe that Scripture is purely a human product, that it is just people reflecting on their thoughts about God, then your God, little g God, will look very human. And it will not be the one true and only God. But if Scripture is really given by God, that it is the product of divine activity, it is the creation of the Spirit of God, even God-spirited. That's another way that theopneustos could be understood. God-spirited. If that is what you believe, then you possess the infallible, inerrant, authoritative revelation of redemptive truth. It will be the latter that we'll be discussing, by the way. That Scripture has its origin in God, and that's what that phrase, God-breathed, denotes. It speaks of the origin of the Scriptures, or if you back up one verse, Paul writes, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Sacred writings and Scripture are synonymous terms, synonymous phrases. And all Scripture being breathed out by God means that it came from God. It has its source in God. That it's the, the source of Scripture is divine. That it came from God. The triune God. The one true and only almighty God is the source of Scriptures. Notice it is all Scripture. 
All Scripture owes its origin to divine activity. All Scripture includes not just the exciting parts that we like to tell over and over again, right? Noah, Moses, Daniel, all the stories about Jesus. It includes not only all those exciting parts that we love to tell over and over, but it also includes the genealogical parts with all those names that are hard to pronounce. It includes all of those sacrificial system instructions that kill Bible reading programs, right? You haven't got there yet. You're only in January if you just started your Bible reading program for the year, right? But you'll get there, and you need to keep in mind, this is just as much given by God as all those exciting stories I read back in Genesis, right? It's all given by God. Every Scripture. And, and the way Jesus talks about Scripture, about not one jot, not one tittle, and all that, shows you that it comes right down to the words, even the letters. When Paul wants to make a point about the seed of Abraham, he says, not to seeds, as to plural, to many, but to one seed, that's Christ. That shows us, again, right down to the letters, right down uh, to the individual words and phrases, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, it is certainly the case, when Paul talks about Scripture here, or the sacred writings, he has the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures in view uh, primarily. Which, by the way, those Old Testament Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Don't get rid of that Old Testament. That's three quarters of your Bible. My, my Bible has 66 books. Amen? It's all given by God. And of course, Paul has primarily the Old Testament Scriptures in mind, but it's not limited to that. He doesn't deal with the extent of Scripture. We, of course, know that it's Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 who talks about how Paul's writings are on par with Scripture. 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. So we see the origin that Scripture, it is breathed out, it has come from God. But we also see the profitability of Scripture here. All Scripture is breathed out by God, verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, and profitable for four things, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Teaching would be both formal and informal instruction in life and godliness. Reproof has to do with identifying and refuting error with truth. Correction, well, everyone wants to be right, right? Everyone wants to be correct. Well, that's a good thing. Correction, we tend to think of uh, correction, but it's a, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Scripture is given for correction, and it's also given for training or instruction in righteousness. It takes time, in other words. That, that training that you do, it's like, well, here we are again at the beginning of the year, and maybe you started, you had a resolution to go to the gym, to do some training, right? It takes time, though. You can't just go to the gym once and, all right, God, I'm good to go, right? It's an ongoing training, and that's the nature of the, the profitability of Scripture. It is profitable for training in righteousness, but it takes time to be trained in righteousness, which is right living, which is the kind of living that God desires and accepts and is pleasing to Him. And what we see here is that sound doctrine and sound living go together. That is, healthy teaching and healthy living go together. 
that when erroneous doctrines are allowed to persist, sinful living is sure to follow. However, and conversely, where there is right, or or another word for right, healthy, sound doctrine, wherever that is found, Christians live in accordance with God's desires and in ways which please God. Finally, we see the function of Scripture. Its origin, it's breathed out by God. Its profitability for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. But then the function, that, verse 17, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work is the key phrase there. You see, Scripture alone is sufficient for the task that Paul is describing here. In other words, no other text religious or otherwise, no other work, no other institution, no other tradition is sufficient for all the tasks that Paul is laying out here. Only Scripture is able to thoroughly furnish us so that we are competent and sufficient for every good work. And we are sufficient because the Scriptures themselves are sufficient. And so here, Paul lays out again how Scripture is breathed out by God, and as a result of that, it is sufficient for the tasks that God sends it forth for. God's Word will not return to Him void. It will accomplish all of the purposes that He sends it out for in your life and in mine. Now we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, the text that we read at the beginning. It's fresh in our minds, and it's the phrase at the end of verse 21 that I want us to especially focus on. 2 Peter 1 and verse 21, the whole verse says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Man, there's a lot that can be said there. And so I invite you tomorrow evening to tune in to the live stream on YouTube where we're going to unpack a bit more about what happens when, when God is not the source or the origin of your Scripture. Because there's a lot in it, cleverly devised myths and all that earlier. We'll look at that. What I want to focus on, again, is that second part of verse 21 this morning. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice, we have the means, we have the method, and we have the message. All in that one phrase. First, the means, men. Men spoke from God. And in this context here, Peter's one of those men. He identifies himself in verse 16 as an eyewitness, verse 18 as an ear witness. They saw, they heard these things that were a part of the life of Christ. Peter's not saying, well, I heard it from my second cousin, brother's husband's friend, whatever, right? This isn't, this isn't, I heard it through the grapevine. Peter's saying, I was there. I saw it. I heard it. Some of the strongest evidence, right? Someone who was there, who saw it. Eyewitness testimony. And it is Peter, a a simple fisherman, that God utilizes in order to write. It is Peter, uh, the simple fisherman, who is moved by the Holy Spirit. But it's not just fishermen. We know that there were approximately 40 different men from uh, across a span of 1,500 years. Three different continents, three different languages that were utilized in the production of Scripture. And so it was fishermen, but it was also kings and those in high places. 
It was shepherds. It was tax collectors. It was doctors. People, men from all different walks of life. God moved them to communicate a single message about what He is up to throughout all of redemptive history. Men spoke from God. Notice that. Here's the method. And there are varying theories of inspiration and all that. But suffice it to say, we have here, they were carried along. It's a very interesting word that is used. You know, if, if, if you're ever standing by a river and, and you're just watching the water go by and, and maybe suddenly a, a leaf from a tree falls down into the water and then what happens? It gets carried away, carried along by the water. That's, that's the, the idea that's communicated in this word that's used here. Or maybe a better idea, since we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit, the, the holy wind of God, maybe like a, a feather that's caught in the wind, right? You ever watch a feather get carried by the wind? And there's a bit here that extends the limits of our fully understanding how exactly God did this, but we've already established that all Scripture is given by God. That means every word that was written by these men across time and space in the documents, the books that we have, was exactly what God wanted written. Again, to use the illustration of, of the river, these men, they're the ones who are carried along by the, the holy river of God as He moves them, but they will not exceed the bounds that He has laid in their lives. That would be the banks of the river, right? They won't go beyond that. And so what they write is exactly what God wants written, carried along as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This squares, by the way, with things that Jesus says, like in John chapter 16 and verse 13, about how the Spirit of truth is going to guide the apostles into all truth. Yeah, they're carried along, set on the right path, and led. This also accounts for the different styles that we see here. It was not mechanical dictation where God put the pen in their hand and then they put it down on the paper and then they wrote just exactly the exact same because they don't. Mark writes different than Luke who writes different than John who writes different than Paul. They have different styles. And yet God utilizes that. This is what's fascinating. It is not that when God needed something written down, He didn't get caught off guard all of a sudden and go, well, who am I going to use now? Eeny, meeny, miny, Moses. All right, good. You can write the first five books, right? No, nothing was left to chance. This was God's intention from all eternity, to communicate His will, to reveal His Word to His people. And so, Moses, it wasn't an accident. Jeremiah, I knew him from his mother's womb. Same with Paul. These men were providentially trained and tuned throughout everything they experienced in their life so that when it came time for Paul to write Romans, or when it came time for Luke to write Luke and Acts. They were, they were fully qualified to be moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit. God breathing out His Scriptures through them. And again, that accounts for the different styles. Some, some are very simple in their writing. John, very simple. You know, when, when you get a, a new student learning Greek, you usually start them in John's Gospel or his epistles because it's so easy, so simple the way he's written. A more complex, you've got to go to Luke. And Hebrews, whoo, lofty Greek there, right? But that accounts for their, their different styles. Luke, a physician, guess what? A lot of medical terminology shows up in his gospel and in Acts. 
Paul, very legal mind. And you see that in his, his magnum opus, which is Romans, the way he reasons through that. All along the way, it is these words that God is using. In fact, uh, when we come to chapter 3 and verse 2 of 2 Peter, Paul says, you know, I'm stirring up your mind, your sincere mind by way of reminder, verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. The words, in other words, the words that are used here to communicate those predictions, those commandments. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, really accentuates this in verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes there, Now we, rece- we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in, ready? Words. Words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. There you go, words. He uses their styles and he uses their words. And their words are exactly what God wants recorded. They're his words, even. Coming back to 2 Peter 3, verse 21. Men spoke from God. There it is. It doesn't have its origin in the will of man. Humans didn't invent it, in other words. This came from God. Even the, 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 the statement that's on the Mount of Transfiguration in verse 17, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. God had a specific message He wanted proclaimed among people about His Son. And they recorded exactly what God said. The Holy Spirit involved in this as well. The whole triune God involved in this. But the Holy Spirit, He's there carried along by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would enable them to remember everything Jesus had said and did. John 14, verse 26. What is recorded is sufficient for belief. John 20, verses 30 and 31 tell us. What we are talking about here properly is the doctrine of biblical inspiration. And these are the two key texts that we pull together that, uh, that communicate in concert with one another, harmoniously. How God moved men to record His Word. And that all of Scripture is given by God, is breathed out by God. How God uses those individual personalities. And they, they compose, without error, what God desires to communicate. That's His revelation in the original texts that were written by the New Testament and Old Testament writers. One writer put it this way, the Holy Spirit of God superintended the human writers in the production of Scripture so that what they wrote was precisely what God wanted written. That's it. That's what we have in our Scriptures. You know, we we begin this new year by looking at these texts to remind us of the things that we believe, to remind us of what we believe about Scripture. Because everything that we believe comes back to, has God spoken? And indeed, He has spoken. He has revealed through the Holy Spirit and through these human writers 
everything that is sufficient for life and godliness. And so as we consider this, just a few thoughts about how, how do we engage with God's Word? And what I want to do is I want to ransack Psalm 119 as we kind of wind things down here this morning. Psalm 119, we know this. It's a chapter, right? Longest chapter in Scripture. And what the psalmist has done is he will take eight verses, and each one of these verses begins with a, the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in fact, you may have an English translation which points this out. So, for example, verses 1 through 8 begin with the Hebrew, they all begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph. That's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then Beit, Gimel, Dalit, and the rest throughout, all the way to Tav, uh, the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Every verse, just about, every verse, glories in and exalts in the wonderful Word of God. And, and the, the psalmist will ransack the Hebrew lexicon, the Hebrew dictionary, to uh, talk, use different terms to talk about the Word of God. And so you'll read about the statutes of God, the commandments of God, the judgments of God, uh, the decrees of God, the, uh, the, the, the wisdom of God, all of these different phrases to talk about the Word of God. And what comes out are a number of things. Number one, what do we, how do we engage in God's Word? Well, uh, this may be overly simplistic, but you have to open it. You have to open God's Word. That's assumed throughout this psalm that you will open God's Word. But if I may, Psalm 119, verse 130. Look at this. 119, 130. The unfolding of your words. Now, you keep in mind that the way that they did it, they didn't have books like we do. They had scrolls. And, and you, you could become very skilled in unrolling and rolling, or the other way, right? The unfolding, the unrolling, the unscrolling of your word, of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. You've got to open it. I think about Ezra in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. I think of Jesus in the synagogue on Sabbath in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. He unrolled the scroll. you got to open it. How many Bibles remain closed throughout the week? My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. Don't leave your Bible untouched, unopened. Open it every day. And, and a good prayer, once you've opened it, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes. Open Bibles, open eyes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Good prayer to pray with an open Bible. Once it's open, what do you do with it? You got to read it. <laughs> you got to read it. Psalm 119, verse 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. He's an early riser so that he can look. Upon the words of God, he can read the words of God. When Ezra opened the book of the law, he read it in the sight of all the people. Paul writes in Ephesians 3 and verse 4, when you read, you can understand what he has written. 
Isaiah 34, verse 16, seek out the book of the Lord to read. When Jesus unrolled the scroll, what did he do with it? Read it in the presence of all those who were there. We, 21st century America, we are spoiled when it comes to the availability of God's Word. Never has God's Word been more readily available to a people than it is today. Every person, you can have your own copy. I've got one here and I've got another copy in the pew there. And I've got several versions, several different copies of God's Word on this device, on, on my cell phone, right? We have it everywhere. We're inundated with it. Paper copies, electronic copies, it's everywhere. And, well, I, I don't read so good. You can play it right there. They've got the, sometimes it happens that as I'm, I'm preaching along, I can hear someone's machine will disobey the order and automatically start playing the recording of the, the text you're looking at. Praise God, by the way, that you're looking at the text. Amen. That's a good thing. I'm in no way complaining. <laughs> uh, but I understand that. Man, that could be a frustrating thing. But nevertheless, you got it right there. You just push play and you can listen to it. If you don't read, so good. Listen, if it's important, if it's a priority, you will make time. You will do whatever you need to do in order to do that thing. Is God's Word a priority to you? That you open it and that you read it. That you get your head into this book. Look now at verse 148 of Psalm 119. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. Notice verse 147 was, I rise before dawn. Now here he is. He's awake before the watch of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. you got to read it. Open it. Read it. And then, study it. Which is different than reading. Different than the cursory reading that we give something. Study it. Psalm 119 and verse 15. 119 verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. See, study takes time. You got to fix your eyes on the text for a little while. But also meditation. Every time you read about meditation, he's ruminating, he's thinking about, it. he's studying the scriptures, the words of God. Yeah, you got to study it. 2 Timothy 2:15, we know that, right? Study to show yourself a workman approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. Does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? Or how about the noble Bereans who give us the example of someone daily examining the scriptures? to see if the things that they were being told were so. Acts 17 and verse 11. Again, it's deeper than just the cursory reading. you got to read, but then study. You know, as you're going along and you're reading something that maybe you don't understand, a good practice is to have a piece of notebook paper there with a pencil or maybe a device that you can type on very quickly. Oh, I don't understand. What does this mean? What does this word mean? What does this phrase mean? Jot it down and keep reading. Later on, when you come back, to study, that's where you can begin to unpack and, okay, what did this word mean? And this is where you, you pull out your Bible dictionaries, your Bible encyclopedias, uh, your, your, your concordance, your commentaries, all of that. And you bring it all to bear and you start digging. You start flexing those spiritual muscles as you study God's word and you meditate on it and you fix your eyes upon it and you learn to rightly divide the word of truth. As I said earlier, my Bible has 66 books, and there is much in here. You can wade in this book for the rest of your life and never plumb its depths. But you've got to study it. Why study? Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me, O Yahweh, 
the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. You see, it's out of our reading and out of our studying, having opened it, right, that we come to obey it. This is how we engage in God's Word. We obey it. We keep it to the end. Psalm 119, verses 4 and 5. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. There it is. That's obedience. Oh, that my ways might be steadfast in keeping your statutes. This is obedience, diligence in obedience. We do not want to be that person on judgment day where we're standing before the Lord and He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He didn't do it. No, we want to do what it says. Jesus says, Luke chapter 8, verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You've got to put it into practice. The things that you've heard, the things that you've learned. You see, God has given us His word. Not just to inform us, but to transform us. Can you get a lot of information here uh, about history and things? Absolutely. But if that's all we come to Scripture for is tidbits for trivial pursuit, we've missed it. God has given His Word for transformation. And so we must open God's Word and read it and study it and obey it. And obey it prayerfully. Calling upon God. And and you have a lot of prayers here, just in Psalm 119, right, about God's Word. But read it prayerfully. And read it progressively, that you're going to be better today than you were yesterday, with the hope that we'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Psalm 119 and verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. What a beautiful thing. Obey God's Word. And also, part of obeying it, means we're going to share it. We can't just keep the good news to ourselves. We're going to share God's Word with others. Psalm 119, verse 79. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. Those who fear you, they're going to turn to me. Why? And how are they going to learn to fear the testimonies? It's because the psalmist is assuming, I'm going to share it with them. I'm going to teach it to them. I'm going to tell them about the wonderful Word of God. We think about our Lord's great commission to us, His church. Go preach the gospel to the whole creation. And we see how the early church was devoted to apostolic doctrine and telling others the apostolic doctrine. Share it with others. How it has changed your life and how it can change their life as well. Psalm 119, verses 171 and 172. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. This is, this is public verbal praise that is in view here, that the psalmist is devoting himself to. That Others are going to hear this praise and how his tongue is going to sing of God's word. You've got to share it with others, brothers and sisters. Too good to keep it to yourself. Let me conclude with Psalm 119 and verse 37. Psalm 119, 37. This one, this is the gut punch here. What? 
This one, not the other ones you've already shared, right? Psalm 119.37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Brothers and sisters, there are so many worthless things. Guilty, by the way. Don't think I'm any better than anyone else. I'm right there. Too many worthless things to look at. All the various devices and screens and televisions and, 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 and everything all around us. We're surrounded by worthless things. Here's half the battle right here. God, turn my eyes away from those and give me life in your ways. Turn my eyes away from the worthless things and turn my eyes to the things that are of infinite value that are contained in your word. This is how we engage God's word. He has given us his word. We've, we've read the texts. It's breathed out by God. Men moved along, carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. This is a book of divine revelation. Wear yours out, brothers and sisters. Someone has said, Bibles that are falling apart usually, usually belong to people who are not. Our scriptures are the inspired word of God, written and recorded one time for all time. And as Christians, if we truly believe that the Bible is the Word of God, the words of God, well then, yeah, why wouldn't we pour over it daily, opening it, reading it, studying it, obeying it, sharing it? Let's commit these things to prayer. Indeed, Father, the prayer of the psalmist is our prayer. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your words. Turn our eyes away from worthless things and turn us to our eyes to the, the things of infinite value that are more precious than gold or silver. Help us, Father, to be not just today, not just this year, but every day. Help us to be people who are devoted to this book that we may keep it diligently forever and ever. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.